Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, two high school students plead guilty to murdering their Spanish teacher. Police say they beat her to death with a bat for giving out a bad grade, a grade which would have brought down the GPA of one of these students. Well, neither one of them will ever have to worry about their GPA again because they're not going to college, they're going to prison, likely for the rest of their lives. But first, beware of the woman who knocks on your door with a cheesecake because it could be poisoned. Police in New York say the cheesecake laced with tranquilizer was the intended murder weapon and the target was another woman who looked just like the lady carrying the cake box. Thank goodness the victim survived. What could be the possible motive here? Authorities say that the cheesecake lady needed a new ID because she was wanted by Russian police for a murder under similar circumstances. Well, this is one of those cases where the truth really is stranger than fiction. We are recording this on Wednesday, April 26th of 2023. Our guest today is Tracy Tambora, a criminal justice professor at the University of New Haven in Connecticut, a friend of the show. Tracy is a nationally recognized expert on domestic violence, sexual assault, and the effects of all of this on the criminal justice system. Tracy, welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, Anna, and I'm kind of coveting this vest. I like this A vest. If you find one with a T, please yes. send it to me. <laughs> I shall shop the internet for you, Thank Tracy. You. Thank <laughs> you. You're better with social media than I am. Anything internet related, I think I, I, I have faith in you, Anna. It's so funny. You know, I do do shopping on um, Instagram. I really do. I'm one of those people. I see the ad and I fall for it every time. <laughs> Okay, the T vest. I'm waiting. It's very professorial. It really is. It's perfect for the fall. We'll work on that. Oh my gosh, Tracy, I'm glad you're here this week. You know, these cases are very unusual. They don't have the usual domestic violence, which I know is your level of expertise in, in these cases, but 
there's a lot of depravity here. So, and I think you got that covered. Thank you. Thank <laughs> You're you. welcome. So even as the NYPD says, this is a very bizarre case. The accused here is 47-year-old Victoria Nasarova, and she has been convicted of attempted murder and has been sentenced to 21 years in prison. And here's the thing that's just amazing. She didn't like her sentence. So as she walked out of the Queens courthouse, you know, being walked out to the back to go back into the jail cell, she said to the judge, F you. And that's the cleaned up version of what she said to the judge. Can you believe this? Yes. Well, she laced a cheesecake full of poison. So the F you seems appropriate. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, I don't think she's going to help her case with um, appeals here, right? Because if, if her attorney is going to appeal this, that little FU stunt at the end. Yeah. 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 All right. So the victim here um, who survived the poisoning is 35-year-old Olga Civic. Now, apparently the two women look a lot alike. And the theory was that Victoria, the one accused here and convicted, was going to take over Olga's life. And she needed to do this because Victoria was wanted by the Russian authorities for murder. Not just a little something, but a murder. According to the Queens District Attorney, Victoria suspected of drugging and killing her neighbor. Police say that she fled to the United States and was hiding in Brooklyn. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's the motivation here. Um, Boy. I don't know what to make of this one, Tracy. (laughs) So we're going to talk a little bit more about what happened in Russia and why she is wanted on these charges. But let's get back to what happened in New York in August of 2016. Police say that Victoria arrived at Olga's house in Forest Hills with a cheesecake. And the cheesecake was laced with tranquilizer, but not all the slices, because apparently uh, when they sat down to have the cheesecake, Victoria had some slices that did not have the tranquilizer, but the targeted slices were, of course, for Olga. So um, as soon as Olga ate this cheesecake, she started to feel sick. She threw up. She passed out. And police say it wasn't until the next day that Olga was found clinging to life in her bed. There were pills all over the bed as if she had tried to take her own life. She was rushed to the hospital. She survived. And Olga said the last thing she remembered was Victoria walking around her house. Um, So it would have been very interesting for paramedics because they obviously initially probably thought, oh, my gosh, we're dealing with an overdose here. She definitely seems intoxicated. And um, just just again, fascinating at what point police were able to figure out what happened So here is what Olga told ABC7 in New York about that incident. Gonna bring you like very delicious cheesecake. When I eat that cake, I feel right away very, very sick. I like lose my vision. Olga says that some cash, jewelry, and a handbag were missing along with her Ukrainian passport and very important, her US work permit. Also, but what was left behind, which was not very clever, was the cheesecake and the box, which ended up testing positive for a tranquilizer. Police say they also found Victoria, Victoria's DNA on the cake box and all over the house. That was the incriminating evidence here. Authorities then arrested Victoria on charges, including attempted murder, burglary, assault. Um, She was arrested in March of 2017. Now, police say when when Victoria was arrested, she had Olga's passport on her. Mm -hmm. 
again, more incriminating evidence. So um, I don't know how clever this this Victoria is. Clearly not too. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it's such a bizarre case because it just doesn't sound real. And, you know, the women, they kind of look alike, which is why Victoria thought Olga would be a good person to try this on, that she could pull this off. So when they started the trial, prosecutors actually had to say to the jury, okay, we know this is bizarre. This is not a joke. The the case here, the facts of the case really are about a poison cheesecake and how one woman tried to kill another woman for her identity, and this was the method that she used. Ridiculous, right? How sure. crazy is this? Sure. And that's kind of what caught our attention in all of this. So the prosecution presented evidence that Victoria had met a man online and had drugged him mm-hmm. so and had stolen his watch and his wallet. They were trying to show a pattern here. And she um, then she went shopping with his Amex card. Oh, that Victoria. Yeah. Yes. You know, there, there's so there's some signs that Victoria is a very sophisticated criminal in the fact that, again, she's premeditating. She's taking some uh, precautions and measures. She's meeting individuals. Um, but then there are other indications that the individual is reckless at the same time. She's 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 quite interesting because she's not following into any kind of typology or pattern regarding, you know, sometimes you can see this with predatory offenders, predatory rapists, or or a serial killer, where they seem to follow an MO or a pattern. She's a little all over the place. So, right. Yeah. 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 Kind of has a little bit of a pattern and then is unpredictable. And I think it's that lack of control that we see emerging um, either when things don't go her way or she just doesn't care, Yeah, you know. I mean, yeah. She's definitely a very tough person without question. You know, you just get that sense of her. Yeah. Um, so a little bit more on Victoria. They also had a previous charge on her. She was picked up in May of 2016 for shoplifting furs from the discount retailer in New York, Century 21. One of my favorites. I don't know if it's still in business or not. And when the U.S. authorities, um, you know, the police meaning, when they picked her up on the shoplifting, they didn't realize that she had one of these Interpol red notices, red alerts out for her. They just didn't make that connection. The lady's just trying to steal something from the store. So she wasn't picked up then. But what's interesting, and I don't know how this would work because it's international law. I've done a few of these with these these red notices. Um, So there is no extradition treaty between the United States and Russia, which means there's no real obligation to return her back to Russia. So I think she knew that when she fled to the U.S. And the only thing that maybe they could have picked her up on meaning and then sent her back to Russia would have been an immigration violation. Right. That's what I'm that's what I'm wondering here. Also, you know, this isn't a this is not a high profile case like we saw with Brittany Griner or someone else where they would you would be using the individual to swap. But sometimes uh, um, depending on the depending on the district, the you know federal prosecutor involved in any of these cases may use this. Um, I, I personally was involved in two cases in which the prosecutor wanted to get rid of the foreign national. So it's within the 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 federal government's right to immediately extradite her to Russia, whether we have the agreement or not, because she, if she isn't here in good legal standing, so if she doesn't have a permanent residency or a citizenship, 
oftentimes you'll see a prosecutor want to, uh, these are the words I've heard before, unload the um, the offender. So they could But Tracy, spend, I yeah. have a question then. So, because we always ask the question, what would justice look like? Is that Does that mean that it's possible that the prosecutor could have just sent her back to Russia and not have prosecuted her for her crimes here? Yeah, so they 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 can decide if they want to have the individual serve out their entire sentence here and then extradite, or they could extradite at a at an earlier process um, post conviction. They have to be convicted. Um, you we saw that a lot, maybe about five or six years ago, with um, individuals coming from Central America, from Mexico, that immediately upon conviction they're deported. Um, we don't hold them because you can imagine there's kind of a philosophical argument here, right? Like if we know you're going to be uh, your, your justice is that we're getting you out of our country. There is some sort of that. Um, and also we know if, if the prosecutor knows they're going to send her to a more punitive country like Russia, whose punishments are even harsher than ours, then they might, you know, you could have this justice in an, in another manner um unless the prosecutor thinks that there she won't serve out any time but they, yeah. there's a couple of options on the table we could extradite her now post conviction and for her not to serve out her sentence again what's justice i don't know um the justice is that she's responsible for the crimes she has so either she can serve it out here maybe she's tried and served longer time in russia for an actual murder this was an attempted how do you quantify justice in this case? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That is really tricky. Now, um, to, to get back then um, to the murder in Russia, just to give everyone some context here of, of, of what we're dealing with. Um, again, she was smart enough to know if she came here, she wouldn't be extradited. So according to Interpol, Victoria befriended her neighbor and she's accused of stealing $17,000, some jewelry. Now here's what's interesting. Before she allegedly disposed of the body, police claimed that Victoria was captured on a traffic camera in Russia and she was driving a rented vehicle with the body in the passenger seat. So again, I don't know the Russian justice system I don't know how they look at evidence there. This certainly is very um, damning evidence, if it is true. And that's not all. According to Russian authorities, Victoria allegedly seduced the lead police officer investigator on the murder case there. And so therefore, she was not detained in that incident. Okay, this is unbelievable. And that officer was later fired, according to published reports. The reason this case I find it so fascinating, it's like international intrigue, you know, you got a murder, an attempted murder, mm -hmm. trying to take someone's identity, you have um, private investigators. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this thing. You know, the other thing is, we, you ha we I was on a sh this sh uh, program with you a few months ago where we talked about the individual who was brought to justice because one of his former students yes. saw him teaching a course. I think he was doing martial arts or something like this, right? Yes, wanted for murder in California, yes. And he was, yes, yes teaching English. And then a few months ago, I gave an interview to uh, the New York Magazine's The Cut about a young woman who was murdered in New York and her friends played Instagram sleuth um, and were able to assist the police to track down 
the perpetrator, the murderer, in another country. And so there's more and more cases coming forward in which the internet is being used by non-professionals who are serving as detectives to you know, engage in these higher level crimes. And some of that I think is, of course, a product of the time as technology is advancing, of course it'll be used this way. But also I think it, in a, in a strange way, fills a gap in the criminal justice system, the American criminal justice system. You know, um, when there is a case that involves international borders and investigations, a lot of police departments don't have the kind of funds necessary to engage in either a technological search or definitely a physical search. Mm-hmm. And so they'll the case will sit cold. And a lot of times I'll get calls and say, oh, do you think the case is sitting cold because it's a poor victim or an immigrant victim or an immigrant or or a victim of color? Do you think there's some sociopolitical power thing going on? And my answer is always could be, but it also could be a lack of funding available to police departments to carry out expensive investigations like finding people in other countries or other jurisdictions. So I think that this case is interesting for that. And the fact that you had the daughter perusing Facebook to provide information to authorities, it does show you the power of this of these Internet tools. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all the information that this private investigator was able to find and locate her in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Now, following her arrest... Victoria gave an interview to the New York Post because Victoria's got her own version of things. And at this point, of course, she was just charged and presumed innocent. And she was claiming that she was not attempting to poison Olga, that the that this whole incident was a misunderstanding. Of course it was. <laughs> the cheesecake is laced with poison. Her fingerprints are everywhere. But it's just a misunderstanding. And you have her purse and ring. Right. And her passport in your bag. Right. Okay. So Victoria said, quote, the last time I saw Olga, she already was not feeling good. She said that she either ate something or got food poisoning. Right. Good luck with that one. A nice little story. That's not what anyone believed here. So Victoria's trial began on January 30th of this year. And prosecutors claimed that Victoria needed... Olga dead in order so she, in order for her to take over this identity so she mm-hmm. could avoid being returned to Russia, you know, and just live out her life here. Mm-hmm. So a jury convicted Victoria on February 9th of 2023 on the charges that include attempted murder in the second degree, attempted assault in the first degree, assault in the second degree, unlawful imprisonment in the first degree, and petite larceny. Does that mean, you know, stealing things that are not of huge value? Is that what petite? Yeah. So every means, state so has something every different. Every state has it different, but usually if it, some states, if it doesn't cross the $10,000 threshold, then it is a larceny. Yeah. Got it. So that's what that charges. And then on April 19th, Victoria was sentenced to 21 years in prison by Queens Supreme Court Justice Kenneth C. Holder. Victoria attempted to have the last word in that courtroom, yelling F you to the judge after her sentence was delivered. Unbelievable. Victoria's defense has indicated that they plan to appeal, calling her sentence excessive, though the sentence was four years short of the potential maximum that she faced. 
Yeah, I don't see the appeal here. I don't uh, I don't see where the grounds for the appeal are. There appears to be a, a, a lot of forensic evidence. Uh, and again, you, you, you can't uh, if the crime, if the amount of time being uh, that the, the judge determines to sentence falls within the state guidelines, that in and of itself does not allow for the appeal. So I, I'd be interested to see what is this appeal on. Yeah, well, you know, Victoria's got her own path here. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> the rules do not apply to Miss sure. Victoria. Sure. She's just doing her own thing. All right. Our next case is out of Fairfield, Iowa, where two teens have pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and the bludgeoning death of their teacher. Why? Because they didn't like the grade that she gave out. This is a case that we first covered on the podcast about a year and a half ago when the teacher was murdered. The victim here is 66-year-old Noema Graber, and she was a high school Spanish teacher. Unbelievable. 18-year-old Jeremy Goodale and 17-year-old Willard Miller have pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. I'm just, I'm just astonished. You know, I, I hear... I realize motive doesn't have to be proven at all in court. You know, it's about whether someone has done something or not. But based on their own testimony of what they said to police, based on the evidence that was gathered, based on the fact that they've now pleaded, really, you take a life because of a poor grade? Because maybe you deserve that grade, buddy? Yeah. The other thing that stands out to me is the manner of death, Anna, because this is a very personal. This is an older individual, right? Um, uh, obviously, probably much more physically vulnerable than these two and bludgeoning to death. Uh, you know, of course, they're, you know, in the world of criminology, we don't say, oh, you're a better person if you just shoot someone than if you stab them and cut them up. No, I mean, both of these things are taking a life. But the mode, the manner in which you take someone's life is a little bit indicative of the relationship to some degree. And we've always focused on crimes like that would involve knife or, uh, you know, your hands, um, th things that require you to be in a very close personal space with the victim as to be more crimes of passion that really are invoking a lot more anger. That's not to say that you can't be very angry with a, with a handgun. Yeah. Um, but so for me, the thing that was the most interesting was the mode of death here. The fact that they bludgeoned an, uh, an older individual to death um, signifies that this really was a very personal crime for these individuals. Oh, yeah. As we'll get into what the court records said about um, what the police discovered, this was apparently planned mm -hmm. and they had stalked her because mm -hmm. she had a routine. She liked to take a walk every afternoon around four o'clock, the same trail parked nearby. She had um, a pattern that oh. she followed pretty much very routine. And, you know, so many students at that high school were interviewed after the murder. She really was a teacher that was loved there. And I don't know what possesses someone to look at a bad grade and say, the way I'm going to handle this isn't that I'm going to study harder, isn't uh, it's I'll do better next time, but I'm going to kill the teacher because it's the teacher's fault. It isn't my own fault for maybe not doing well enough in the class. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like there's so much information coming forward now, especially post COVID about the emotional toll that teaching is taking on the profession, right? That teachers are experiencing 
the amount of emotional energy that they're having to put into their work. I mean, a math teacher or a science teacher is no longer just teaching math and science. They're also providing mental health services and doing restorative justice programs and healing circles, like the things that are coming out of schools that I'm reading about, but also that I'm as a mother of three with educators in my family that I'm seeing that they're being tasked to do. Um, is is just taking a toll on teaching. So to have these high profile cases like the six year old boy who who shot his teacher, or oh these gosh. boys who bludgeoned to death their 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 teacher over a grade, you know, this is really shining a light on what is happening in the American public school in the American school system. I don't know if it's public or private, but the American school system and the and you're right level of accountability. How many things could you have done differently to improve your grade or change your grade? for most of us, we wouldn't even fathom the idea of taking the life of our teacher, right? No, no. And we've all had some teachers that have been tougher on us than others. And and maybe, you know, and that, you know what, it's just life. That is just life. And you have to deal with it. And you high key school, their car, right? You 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 key their car, or you leave a nasty note, or but right? even that, I would still say, is highly inappropriate, right? But those are more juvenile ways, yeah. right? More juvenile, immature ways of handling a situation, and not not particularly well thought out, but maybe more age appropriate. Yeah, yeah. This this. This is ridiculous. I mean, you cannot take a life. You cannot take a life over a grade. So um, Willard Miller allegedly went to discuss a poor grade that he received with the teacher. And he was going to do that on the afternoon of November 2nd of 2021. And according to court records, he planned the murder. He stalked the teacher and even discussed his plans on Snapchat. Very incriminating evidence. The teacher, as we said, liked to take her walk at four o'clock, and that is where she was killed. Yes. So as you were saying, Anna, in the beginning of this, the introduction, this was an, she was also stalked. So they were following her daily routine, um, incredible invasion of privacy in it, you know, so the the level of victimization that she experienced, um, you know, that obviously culminates in the ultimate form of victimization, which is murder. No, this was ongoing. And so, again, you know, in pointing out that, sure, there is other juvenile ways to handle frustration with the teacher, that it results in this signifies that these that one or both of them have have some other disturbance or some other uh, history. I'd like to know a little bit more about that, that you would think to resist anytime. In other words, anytime something is so socially abnormal. You have to question what is going on in the background of these individuals, because this is not a normal response to high school frustration in any means. Um, This is not how you solve a problem, right? This is not a normal way to solve a problem. Murder does not fix the situation. It, in fact, makes it so much worse for these two. And the fact that, that at no point in their planning of this, that either one of them said to the other, to themselves, should we really be doing this? Like, at what point? How is that possible that no one said, you know what, this is a bad idea? You know, in many other high profile murder cases in which there's more time to, like, you know, you have four or five years post the um, act, you have time to do interviews. What you often find is one person was the very strong leader mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. other person is going along with this. 
So it'll be interesting after this case, you know, the individuals are incarcerated and I'm sure some interviewer, whether it's a journalist or an academic is going to go in. If, if I had to place a bet on it, given what I know about other high profile murders that include two or more offenders, it's usually there's one very powerful, very strong figure and the other one um, is uh, kind of goes along, is, is a follower. And what's interesting, and we're going to get to that in a second, is as part of these plea deals, we still don't know exactly what happened because each one of them keeps saying that it was the other one that was the leader and the other one was just the lookout. And so authorities at this point are like, you know what? We don't believe either one of you. We think you both participated. It's just, we're just not believing the he did it. And they're still doing the he did it to this in in the very end here, but both of them are going to prison for all of this. Now, witnesses told authorities that they saw Graber's van leaving the park, okay? She didn't leave the park. The van did at about 4.42 p.m. with two males in the front seat, front seats. According to authorities, another witness spotted her vehicle parked on a rural road around 5 p.m., And then witnesses claim to have seen two white males exiting that vehicle. Police say that another witness came forward to say that Willard and Jeremy called this friend and asked them for a ride. And that ride, when they went to pick him up, was not far from where the teacher's van was abandoned. Again, how could they be so worried about their frickin' grades if neither one of them is smart enough to figure out all of the evidence that they have left behind, okay? Not that bright. Right, and, and you know, like, listen, intelligence is measured in a hundred ways, right? So maybe they score high on tasks, but as you're pointing out, there is no common sense here. That's why I suspect, in in, in addition to the man, manner in which the, the murder occurs, that there's something much more personal. That grade coming from that teacher represented something to one of those boys. I don't know if it was the audacity of her to be able to give them that grade. I don't know what was going on for them, but it seems like it's much more personal because you're right. Somebody who's actually quite worried about their future and what that grade might set them up for is probably not going to kill their teacher, number one. And, you know, uh, the, the, the manner in which they attempt to hide it uh, might be more sophisticated. So yeah, and this is probably just completely emotionally driven. Um, although they had time to react because they're stalking her. So we that's why it's a murder, not a manslaughter. If he would have, if one of those boys would have lost their temper in class and beat her to death in class, you probably would have had a manslaughter charge because it would have been a crime of passion, he the moment, but yeah, yeah, you're moved into murder because it's premeditated, it's planned, albeit not very well. Yeah. No, no, not at all. So the teacher's body was discovered the next day on November 3rd of 2021. She had been beaten to death with a baseball bat. Her body was hidden underneath a tarp with a wheelbarrow and, and some railroad ties covering it. Investigators determined that the cause of death was trauma to the head. When police first interviewed Willard Miller, he allegedly expressed frustration. Okay, so your teacher's been found dead and you're talking to the cops. The cops say he said he didn't like the way she taught Spanish. Okay, as opposed to saying, oh my God, my teacher's dead. No, his reaction is, you know what? She really sucked at teaching Spanish. Okay, and then he said he had 
no knowledge, no knowledge of the murder. And he even called her an asshole. He tells the cops that the teacher was an asshole. She gave him a bad grade and that that grade was hurting his GPA. What does that tell you, Tracy, about this individual? Uh, you know, it's very difficult, right? Again, I haven't interviewed him. There could be a few things. Perhaps the individual's out of touch with reality. I don't know. That's a very small percentage of the population, right? And so the individual is so fixated on the grade and out of touch with reality that they're only focused on the thing. Her, her death is an insignificant consequence of the fact that she gave him a bad grade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a, I don't know, 2% possibility. The other point could be that the individual is um, quite violent, quite entitled, um, is not, uh, it, it doesn't realize that they are, um, that everything that they're saying is incriminating them. That's a lot. And that, again, the individual is, doesn't have any kind of mental disturbance, uh, some sort of severe mental health issue that would, would uh, preclude them from being aware of reality, but they do have perhaps a personality disorder or perhaps some other disturbance, which makes them feel entitled. And again, they are then just reacting to this grade. There's a third possibility here in that um, the person's in denial. So that's been seen before that uh, they're in a, in a temporary state of shock afterwards. And what they're, do- what they're doing is fixating on the justification for the behavior, not actually the fact that they did something heinous. So mm-hmm. you could have a few things happening with this individual from, they don't have the mental capacity to, to, to understand that what they did was terrible and they're just focused on the, the impetus, the grade, to I'm in denial, I'm in, to I'm entitled, I don't really care, she's insignificant, the only significant, her life and death is not important to me. The only thing that, the, the only place she has in my life is as the person who gave me a bad grade to someone who is just in this kind of justification phase of the acknowledgement. I just need to justify, justify, justify. And I'm not even going to consider the heinous act that I, that I engaged in. I'll toss one more in there. Okay. Evil evil. There is, it's not a legal term. It's not a psychiatric term. It's a moral term. I'm just going with evil. That's it. I mean, going you, know, with evil. I, we, you and I have talked about this before, right? As a criminologist, I don't have any theory that focuses on evil. Right. You know, after 1750, like, but sure, the human inside of me can say sometimes, oh, this act is, is unexplainable. This person has has crossed the line. I'm trying to use, you know, of course, some theory and what has held up before what we've seen before about why individuals during an interrogation or an interview uh, report the information that they report. And, and it's usually one of those three things, denial, complete ignorance because they don't have the mental capacity, or um, they're just so focused on one aspect that they can't see the entirety. Investigators say that Willard Miller's story changed over time. According to court records, he said later that he had knowledge of the murder, but he was not a participant. Then another time, Miller allegedly told police that he was forced by the real killers to aid in moving the teacher's body, claiming that masked kids made him do it. 
these imaginary men. I mean, again, that that's like a story a five-year-old tells you. Oh, you know, somebody came in here and did this. It's absurd. So Jeremy and Willard were formally charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder about two weeks after. This would have been on November 12th. And the most incriminating evidence, of course, would have been um, putting them at the scene of the crime, the conversations that were on Snapchat that had been preserved by one of the other students. There was a lot here, a lot of evidence here. Now, when they were first arrested, they made an argument, their defense attorneys made arguments that they should not be tried as adults, even though they were on the cusp and the prosecutor just didn't go for it. It's like, no, no, you will be tried as adults. So the um, the defense argued that one of the reasons that they wanted the ability to have this to have them tried as juveniles is that they would have a better chance at rehabilitation. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Do you have any opinions on that? So we don't do a very good job in the United States of rehabilitating juveniles or adults. I think in theory, you have a better chance at rehabilitation as a juvenile, but one of my colleagues who's a national expert in juvenile delinquency, the data is not showing that. So I, you know, I, I, again, I don't think we do a very good job rehabilitating either adults or children. So I think that's off the table. What should be on the table is their um, emotional maturity, their, their cognitive abilities. You know, there's a lot of emerging research now in criminology and psychology, neuropsychology about maybe your, you or your audience has heard about a frontal lobe development. And so uh, this frontal lobe development that has us assess risk and has us determine whether our actions are, I mean, nobody thinks that your frontal lobe isn't fully developed and you think murder is a good thing. No, that's not what we're saying. But your um, one of the arguments that's being made to push off the age of juvenile and uh, to push off the age of adult sanctioning is the fact that we're not fully functioning um, until that frontal lobe is developed. Um so again, I'm not sure if I would rely on the, you have a better chance of rehabilitation in the juvenile system versus the adult system. I don't believe there's evidence to suggest that. If you were going to argue, I think you're better off arguing if you're the attorneys for these two. The individuals are immature and you know the, the punitive nature of the adult system doesn't account for immaturity. It just, either you're guilty or innocent mm-hmm. and regardless of your maturity level, you're going to receive a harsh punishment. So the trials were going to begin. Apparently, they were going to be tried individually. And the first trial was set for this month, April. And that's when Jeremy Goodall struck a deal with prosecutors in which he would testify against Willard. And that then inspired Willard to enter a plea deal to avoid trial entirely. So on April 18th, Miller and Goodall pleaded guilty to the charges of first-degree murder. So... The thing is, even with these plea deals, we still don't know exactly who did what because they're still pulling this stunt that the other one did it. And I don't know if that's because they think that may have an impact on the sentence that they receive. That if, you know, you can prove that the other one did it, that one will get a worse sentence than the one who claims was just, you know, the lookout. Uh, Prosecutors here are recommending a life sentence 
uh, with the possibility of parole after either 25 or 30 years. If I, The way I read this was the one who struck the deal first is probably going to get the 25, and the yeah. one who came along second is going to get the 30, if right. that's what the judge agrees to, because the judge does have to yeah. make a decision. And the judge, here's where age is going to come in as a mitigating factor, right? Because the judge may then determine because of the age, he isn't going to go for the maximum. Now, Iowa I, it does not have the death penalty any longer. So that wasn't going to be used by the prosecutor as a bargaining chip. But they do still have life imprisonment. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that was ever put on the table by the prosecutor to get the plea. You know, oftentimes the reason someone takes a plea, right, is because the prosecutor is saying, you either take the plea and we'll give you 25 years or we go to trial and I'm going for life without the possibility of parole. Right. Um, but yes, I think you're correct to assume that whoever took the, whoever initiated the plea process, whoever agreed to turn state's evidence first is going to get the lesser of the time. Right. And that makes sense. I get that. Now, along with their sentences, the two will be jointly responsible for about $150,000 in restitution to be paid to the family of the teacher. And, you know, the sad thing is that the teacher, Noema Graber, was killed days before her 67th birthday. And um, she started teaching at Fairfield High School in 2012. So you bring up a great point about restitution, right? Because victims advocates for a long time, we have argued that restitution should be part of the criminal justice process, that there needs to be some monetary gesture made on behalf of the perpetrator to the victim to try to restore, or the, in this case, the victim's family. Here's where the dilemma comes, though. If restitution is to be paid by the offender, how do they pay this restora- restitution while incarcerated, right? And so um, these are these arguments that get made all the time. And I don't think most people would say, oh, let the boys out after two years. Oh, no, 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 no. But it is something sometimes restitution orders are are made and they're kind of this good faith, but never expected to be paid, you know, application. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring that point up that restitution is something that we fought for a lot of us who worked in victim services for a long time. But unfortunately, in these heinous cases, they never come to fruition because the individual is incarcerated. And then when they are released, they don't really have a way to, I mean, uh, obtain employment that would allow for a large restitution order to be repaid. Well, it is time for our comment section. These are the crime cases that you all are talking about on our social media. We have two guests today. Not only our producer, Will Updike, but my little friend over here who I have been fostering for three weeks, and she will be adopted tomorrow. We found her a family. This is, her name is Natalie Yellowjacket, named after one of those shows, but I haven't seen it. She was, um, she's, she's very sweet. She was rescued from the divorce shelter with two other dogs. And when the rescue called me and said, please, we're getting three dogs out today. Can you take one of them? I was like, how was I going to say no? Right. How was I going to say no? Hope she doesn't share the same fate as any of the, as any of the yellow jackets. But uh, anyway, I haven't seen it. I don't know what the show is. That's a little teaser. You're going to have to catch up on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 
but this week we have uh since Tra- in, in honor of tracy being here i gotta bring a fast food uh crime <laughs> to the table we have, of course we have a gun and some fast food uh just an, an excellent mix to uh bring tracy's expertise to uh so this one comes out of picayune mississippi uh where one man's attempt to hide a firearm uh was the taco of the entire uh picayune police department following a traffic stop last week so this happened on friday april 14th according to the picayune police department uh, st- they stopped a car for allegedly violating a traffic law in east Can- on east canal street so they pulled over the driver the driver here is olivia neff she was in the car with passenger devin mitchell now when they pulled his car over picayune police said that they had probable cause to search the vehicle where they found a distribution amount of meth not sure how much that is uh liquid heroin and other drug paraphernalia but they apparently went through these fast food bags as well, where they discovered Mitchell, the passenger here, his handgun inside a quesadilla in a Taco Bell bag. So in the we, actual food? In the food. Yeah. Yeah. It's like mixed in there. I'll show a picture okay. uh, for people there. There's a gun. There's also something that looks like some sort of pipe. I don't know. I don't care to comment. Uh, but police arrested Mich- Mitchell on charges of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute, uh, while in possession of a firearm, possession of a controlled substance, tampering with physical evidence, possession of a weapon by a felon, and possession of paraphernalia, whole laundry list there. Uh, while the driver here, Neff, uh, was cited for disregard for a traffic device, but she was released at the scene. Uh, records show that Mitchell, the passenger here, the gun owner, is in custody in Pearl River County, Mississippi. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know like what exactly led them to search the bags probably when they discovered some of this other stuff i don't know if you know they just gave the bags like a little lift and you felt that one was like physically a lot heavier and that's what led to the search um i doubt you know they're the first thing that they were going through was probably that fast food um, uh, will can i just interrupt you for a second i don't absolutely. know if everybody in the viewing audience got how clever you were there but when you started this you said this is the taco of- <laughs> of discussion and i thought that is clever it's the taco of discussion so thank you thank you we do our we do our best over here this was a wild one uh we got a bunch of comments on this snow white said so they have regular supreme and loaded now awesome Um, Ooh, that's a good one yeah, yeah it's it's great um also are, are you a taco bell person anna i do like taco bell you know for the longest time i loved taco bell and loved their little um they used to do these little cinnamon crispy things for dessert i don't know if they have them anymore I yeah i am a taco might. bell person i am i um i personally have just gone through like a little bit of a taco bell renaissance i'm a fan but like i haven't yeah. eaten it in like three years and then i had it one time and now i've had it like three times in the last month it's um it's phenomenal moose juice said the sauce got more kick than i remember which actually not mm. that much kit the hottest mm. of their sauces is is a little underwhelming but uh <sighs> Rima T said, who knew quesadillas are that rich in iron? Oh, um, good one. Yeah. Solid. Very solid. Very solid. Yeah. Johnny S said, ah, yes, the old Glocko Bell. <gasps> Love it. Wow. Love it. They've really outdone themselves on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great headline, but the, the comments Glocko here, Bell. just all of you. So great. We're going to end with a, a, a pun as per usual. Haley M said he's Nacho, smartest criminal in uh, queso. You didn't notice two cheese puns in one comment. How did you do it? How did you do it? I think we can wrap it up for the day. Uh, but that is going to do it for for this week's comment section. Tracy, I'm still waiting on some in-depth uh, coverage on 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 this on the study of crime and fast food restaurants. So I'll be I, waiting. I I'll, I'll be I'll be 
you waiting? Uh, yeah. I, I hope it's something you put your students to, to research. Yes, we have to um, co-write this paper because you've really been speed fooding me this, <laughs> this new avenue of research. So It's so bizarre. It's just such a weird overlap. <laughs> well, I think one of your 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 persons, one of your viewers said it best the last time, like, you know, you're 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 smoking a little weed, you're doing a little something, you get a little bit of the munchies, you get a lot of hand, you know, like there's this uh, it does seem like there's probably a natural evolution to a Friday night, you know, at the Burger King gone bad. So yeah. there's, there's I think there there's a lot of chronological variables to explore here. Friday right. night at the Burger King gone bad. If you decide to write that one, Tracy, I think that's a bestseller. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for that week's <laughs> comment section. Thank you so much, everybody. I will see you next week. Well, Tracy, it is always a pleasure to have you on the program. We always love your insight. And I know sometimes it's really hard to provide insight when we're dealing with, as I say, this level of depravity of, of, of a lack of humanity in how we deal with each other. So... Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you had two tough cases. These There's not a lot of research on individuals who engage in such horrific acts of violence for such little motivation. Yeah. So it's really hard to draw on any previous research or theory, but this exists. This is also crime. Yeah, it really is. Um, where can people find you? Can people follow you or any information I'm, on your papers or stuff like so that? Anna has shamed me into finally getting a social media. So I will be coming on Instagram next month. My daughter's helping me to set that up. Do you love uh, that, you, that your daughter's helping you? I love that. Yes, it's I so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, all of my work is is found um, on at the University of New Haven Department of Criminal Justice website. Um, so yes, but soon I will be at a social media venue near you. <laughs> That's so funny. And thank you for having me um, virtually visit your campus and talk to your criminology students. It was really fun to talk with them. I really enjoyed that time with them. They were excited. Anna was a rock star. So your audience already knows this. Now my students are more aware. And half of the students said they followed your show. So, Oh, I love that. That is so cool. I love, love, love to hear that. I think that that's, that's really, I love that. Really do. So you can find me on social media at Anna G News. Um, that's Anna with one N. Sometimes I post about crime. Sometimes I post about dogs in need of homes. Um, probably more dogs than anything else. That's where my heart is. Uh, you can find this episode and all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can sign up to receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. So until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.